The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Sunday, March 1st, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and boy, oh boy, do we got a, a lot to get to from what was a wild weekend in the sport that owns this month of March. Kentucky secured the outright SEC regular season title. East Tennessee State secured the outright Southern Conference regular season title. Shouts to Coach Cal. Shouts to Coach Forbes. Seton Hall won at Marquette. Providence won at Villanova. Texas won at Texas Tech, so that's good for Seton Hall, Providence, and Texas. Meantime, Baylor lost at TCU. Duke lost at Virginia. West Virginia lost at Oklahoma, so that's not good for Baylor, Duke, and West Virginia. San Diego State remained undefeated. My Aztecs mm-hmm. are the best one-loss undefeated team in the nation, undeniably. And Mick Cronin continued to cement his legacy as the greatest coach in UCLA history. He completed a regular season sweep of Arizona, was such a pain to coach against that Sean Miller went out, got himself ejected from the game, just couldn't deal with it anymore, had to escape the only way he knew how. And I promise, 
We're going to get to some of that stuff, perhaps even most of that stuff, before this podcast is over. But I want to start with what happened Saturday night inside the Diamond Stone Center. DJ Strawberry Court inside the Diamond Stone Center. Big 10 showdown between Maryland and Michigan State. Tom Izzo Spartans open on a 9-0 run, led by as many as 12 in the first half, led by as many as 18 in the second half. Never trail, cruised to a 78-66 victory over Maryland. Norlander. You were there. What did we learn from Saturday night's beatdown in College Park, MD? Yeah, I noticed you just uh, had a – I mean, you didn't even mention that, you know, Nebraska lost in Pinnacle Bank again. But that's fine. We'll move along. I was in College Park on Saturday. Did I hear a Diamond Stones? It's Diamond God. Stone Center. Just sounds good, you know? It's, the Stone Center. It's 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 a solid effort from you. I. All right, we move along. It was, it was. Hey, great environment, great environment there. First time I covered a game uh, at College Park, and that's a good, that's a good building. And they were psyched and ready for it. Uh, <laughs> Scott Van Pelt is a maniac during these games, and I love it. He is all in. And what was funny is, um, like I don't know, somewhere in the late in the second half, as you have at all of these, uh, you know games with all these teams all these programs you just have all of your former players just it's a hype video you know tight game past the time in the commercial break and you want to get the crowd even more fired up and so you got 12 former guys as old as 52 and as frequently as they graduated a year ago right so they go through all these players you know you name it bruno fernando gravis vasquez I was waiting for a Steve Blake mention, but I don't think he was in there. But Kevin Herter, keep going. Gary Williams, and the last guy. It's all Maryland players. And then the last guy on the screen is Scott Van Pelt. His Terrapins could not get that win. Um, Michigan State looked damn good. Uh, they came in and asserted themselves in a way that I left. I left thinking that Michigan State is the most dangerous team. I left thinking that I would still – while I'm still in on Maryland, I would be more likely in a blind bracket, if you will, to pick Michigan State to go deeper than the Terrapins, but the margins are thin. Um, got a chance to speak with Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman and Tom Izzo afterward, and the one common thing they all talked about was the fact that the, they felt as though their team was truly better than their record. And we could argue whether that's the case or not. Izzo did share an interesting anecdote with me, Parrish, in that he, after the Maryland game two weeks ago, you know, leaves Breslin, goes home. In normal nights, even after, like, tough losses, he'll go to bed. But this time he was up for another, you know, four, four and a half hours looking at seven of Michigan State's nine losses because the Duke, he said the Duke loss and the Purdue loss were the two that, like, we had, we were never going to win the games anyway. But the other seven, he looked at it late, and with about two minutes to go in each of those games, they could have won it. And so he talked with his guys the next day. He showed them, like, a, you know, a montage, if you will, and um, he said they lacked toughness. And since he did that, they haven't lost. It's only been three games, but it's uh, the first three-game win streak in over a month, and it's the first three-game win streak this season that Michigan State has had at least two road wins involved in a three-game win streak. And it's also the first time this season that Michigan State has won back-to-back -back games against Ken Palm top 25 teams, back-to-back -back games against teams that have 
objectives and pragmatic goals of reaching the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. So um, there's a number of ways we can go with it, but that's the, those are my first impressions of, of what I saw in person on Saturday night. The game wasn't great. The environment was for a while, but Michigan State was basically able to keep Maryland at bay the entire second half, and to me that was the most impressive thing because Maryland is a team that has thrived five, six, seven times a season on the late rally to win a game. You know what it reminded me of? Not in style of play or anything like that, but early in the season, even after Michigan State had taken that season-opening loss, and I guess even after it had lost um, out in Maui. Virginia Tech, they, right. Yeah, they, they, they hosted Duke. And I was just like, I think on this podcast, I was like, I'd just be shocked if Duke goes in there and and, and beats Maryland, like you know, I mean, beats Michigan State. I mean, that's, that's still the team that was preseason number one. Um, they still got Tom Izzo. They still got these pieces. It's still the Breslin Center. And Duke went in and controlled the entire game, entire game, front to back. Mm-hmm. And I would have thought the same thing about this one. Like Maryland, we can say whatever we want to say about you know where these teams are headed, and you might be right. But from opening day to this till till you know Saturday afternoon. Maryland had done more, had accomplished more, had looked like the better team. You could reasonably argue has, has the better talent, certainly the, 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 I think the best NBA prospect of the two teams. They'd already played once. Maryland had won inside the Breslin Center. Like There wasn't a whole lot there to make you think, oh, of course Michigan State's going to go to Maryland and win, which, which made me wonder, why is this number only Maryland minus two and a half? They're be- you know, mm. higher-ranked team at home. With that, that's got a cushion in the Big Ten standings and has already beat the team it's playing once on the road. And the numbers only Maryland minus two and a half. It's like they were begging you to take Maryland. And then Michigan, the game starts and the Michigan State takes the lead and never trails in the whole game, controlled it from start to finish. Um, it, it reminded me of, of the, what Duke did to Michigan State early. This time Michigan State did it to Maryland. They go into a building where everything on paper suggests this is not going to go the way that it ended up actually going, except odd makers seem to, to seem to know it somehow. Yeah, and and the thing was, and this was a, kind of led my column that I filed late Saturday night into Sunday morning. If you haven't read it, feel free to, to go in uh, and give it a look-see. But, um, you know, even Izzo said, like, I don't think we played a great game. We were good. To me, it's a great, it's a great sign for Michigan State that this was its best win of the season. Uh, considering the time of the season, the venue, the opponent, everything kind of on the line. You know, they prevent Maryland not just from clinching the Big Ten title in that game. I mean, it ends Maryland's undefeated season at home. That isn't something that's happened since Maryland won the national title in 2002. So uh, just really put a stake into a lot of uh, things there. And, you know, Cassius Winston had seven turnovers, four of which were probably just – you know, uncharacteristic. Uh, Xavier Tillman had a really, really good game again, um, and and he was uh, he was terrific afterward and kind of putting into words the team prep, how they were so motivated. They they really felt like sometimes you ask a player like, listen, what what about tonight might have uh, surprised you or or what did you get accomplished? And he basically said, this is what we thought it would be. We would be the aggressor. We thought we could get out to a lead, and then when we got out in the second half and we were able to hold that, uh, we had confidence in our ability to come in and do that. And I don't think they were empty words. And Tillman's also highly motivated by being snubbed from the uh, semifinalist list for National Defensive Player of the Year uh, to the point where like, it looks like he was like legitimately like, like had his feelings hurt by it because he thought that he deserved to be on it. And frankly, he probably did. Um, but on the whole, like Malik Hall has his best game since Michigan State won at the other really impressive road game to have this season against you know a three-seed caliber team when they, when they won at Seton Hall earlier in the season. Um, 
but it was it was fine. You know, I think a B plus effort from Michigan State, and they just they were able to make Maryland uh, look worse than Maryland is. And Maryland even like they had a couple of surges into the second half, but when it got to eight or nine, you'd have a big play. Rocket Watts came up big, so it was a, a great case of how yeah, sure, Cassius and X are going to take this team as far as they'll go, but. If you're really going to have Rocket Watts and Aaron Henry be a little more reliable, as we, as they showed there, Kithier is a get it guy, and he if he can be consistent, you know, on the whole, you know, I don't know what you're going to get with Malik Hall, but they they look to be like the maybe a four seed where you get them in your brackets wherever they get. I guess if if they're four seed, they're probably in Indy if they if they can get that, and they're up against the one which would be Kansas. And if you write it into your bracket, and that's what we actually wind up having, KU, Michigan State, in the Sweet 16, like you, Kansas will be the better team, but you can see yourself writing Michigan State into the Elite Eight based on what they did there. They still got more games, don't get me wrong, but uh, the Big Ten race is actually up. It's, it's quasi up for grabs in terms of fit teams finishing at the, st- at the top now because Maryland's got the one-game lead, but still Michigan State won, Illinois won, and Wisconsin GP. I've actually been running around here to, to, did Wisconsin get the win here on Sunday night? Are they still also game behind? Let me double check that. I've been running. I've had a flat tire. That's Advent. also true. You had the flat tire there because they were playing against Minnesota. But regardless yeah. of that, you know, yeah, Wisconsin won seventy-one sixty-nine over Minnesota. Okay, so they got the win there. So the point is, those three teams are only a game behind Maryland, which still has to play at Quincy Doobie Pavilion on Tuesday night against Rutgers, which almost never loses inside that building, and then hosts a Michigan team that fell against Ohio State on on Sunday. So there's still some Big Ten stuff up for grabs. So I I do generally agree GP with what you were saying though like heading into it but I came away impressed with with Michigan State and what it was able to do and we'll see if it's truly you know turned a corner if you will but hey March is here and they they look like they are getting it together and if they're close to what they were projected to be in the preseason the number one team and I would say close being top 10 caliber then it's a different conversation for sure I I was impressed as well um they they look the part you know that that's what that's what preseason number one teams are supposed to be able to do go on the road Hostile environment, quality opponent, handle them. And that, that is what Michigan State did on Saturday night. I would go back to something we talked about on a recent podcast, um, you know, when Michigan State, before Michigan State got on this little winning streak. You know, I had noted that they only had two players at the time averaging at least 10.0 points per game. One was Cassius Winston, and the other one was Xavier Tillman. And a point that I made was that if you went through um, the other, you know, I, I think I went all the way through the top 15 and then I just stopped because I was like, all right, that's enough. I, I, I proved my point. But it, it, literally every team had at least three double digit scores. And Gonzaga at the time had seven. And one of the points I'd made, and this is like a very surface level breakdown of a of a box score, I acknowledge. But it was like, you know, th- they don't have reliable secondary scoring. And it ends up with Cash is having to try to do more than he's capable of doing. And he's capable of doing a lot. But, you know, he's, he's not – he can't by himself, you know, score 25 points for a team that's supposed to be one of the best teams in the country. If you're asking him to go out and do that consistently and he's not getting enough help elsewhere, well, he, then you're not going to be one of the best teams in the country. And Xavier Tillman was like constantly – you know, he'd be there one game, not there the next. He's been more reliable lately. And I couldn't help but notice in Saturday night's game at Maryland, Michigan State had four players in double figures. 
and now Aaron Henry is up to 9.9 points per game. So he still doesn't hit that mark if we're drawing a hard line where I set it, but still, he's up to 9.9. For all intents and purposes, Michigan State now has three double-digit scores. That means they're getting more scoring um, away from Cassius Winston in a more reliable way. That's good stuff. Uh, by the way, this is true. Michigan State is 11-3 and when Aaron, Aaron Henry, he's their third-leading scorer. Mm. When he scores in double figures, 11-3. and three. When he doesn't, they're just 9-6. and six. Again, surface-level stuff, I acknowledge, but it does seem pretty clear. When Michigan State is getting reliable secondary scoring, they look more like the team we, we thought they were going to be than they've looked like um, most of the season. Quick thought on Maryland here. Cowan didn't have a good game. He had uh, back-to-back possessions where he tried to make these reverse layups go down. They just didn't go. Uh, Winston obviously hit that like 60-footer right before halftime. He kind of felt it was going to be Michigan State's night when that went down. But uh, Jalen Smith actually had a relatively solid game. Uh, Cowan was just okay. Daryl Morsell, just okay. Eric Ayala, just okay. Um, so Maryland is similar to Michigan State in that you know they obviously have a 1-2 uh, point guard, big man in Cowan Smith. Uh, same as with cash and x and they do need like you know if aaron wiggins can be more consistent he only had four points in the game like if he can really pop that that can go a long way Morcel, uh a fine two-way player just needs to be a little bit more there so maryland fans obviously a little bit uh disappointed i did have by the way um i don't i, I saw the review in passing a, a little while ago but one of the dancing turgeons actually found me I said I'd give a shout, so shouts to you, fella, um, because there's like nine of them. You know what I didn't realize? You know what I did not realize? I thought I thought that the guys, first of all, this has like been a thing forever, like since he got the job. I thought that the like eight to ten guys who dress in a tie and they dye their temples white, like turgeon and all that, I just thought like the Jumbotron caught them like once or twice during a game just doing like a synchronized dance in the stands. No, dude, they they go on the court during a TV timeout with the cheerleaders and have like a whole thing. It's it's kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. I, and I know uh, some of you fellas are listening, and I we appreciate it, and you were so so nice and sincerely. Shouts to you, thank you. And you did a good job on the court there, but it's just not like anything I've ever seen in a college game where. You've got all these these twenty year old dudes out there doing I don't even know what it was, but um, I guess it helps get the crowd fired up. And yeah, they're they're part of the entertainment there. So uh, credit to them and a really good f- fan showing. That wall of students is an awesome sight. I forget if we, I asked you this and if we talked about it, but um, I know you said you have gone, to, you did the Turgeon thing, so you've been there. I don't know how good the game was that you went, but this was like, obviously like super hyped environment. Gravis Vasquez's senior day, only that good. There you go. Yeah, it's a little Gravis on the uh, on the jumbotron uh, during the game, as I mentioned earlier. But that, yeah, that whole wall when and they get the color rest, so they're all in white white shirts. Uh, a really great visual, an intimidating thing, and when they roll the Maryland flag, that was pretty cool as well. So I came away uh, impressed with uh, just the in general Maryland operation. With wish the game would have been better, but. But if you're a Maryland fan, here's what you – I mean, here's the the consolation in all this. Like, you're going to – if you can get to the Sweet 16, like, you're going to play um, in Madison Square Garden, you know, that area. You're going to be able to flood fans in there. And now it could be Seton Hall or it could be Villanova. Like, it could it could be a really, really, really tough ticket. But um, but if you can get there, I, I, I think that East Regional has high potential for really good teams, fun teams, promising teams with – like, like fervent, dedicated basketball over football fan bases. And so even with the loss here, Maryland is going to project into that region. So chances are still there, man. This can still be a Final 14. They just didn't show it Saturday night. Um, Grave, I was there for Gravis Vasquez's senior day. And it was a sweet moment. 
so after the game, um, I, I don't know how you handled it, but we we wrote that. I just remember writing back when I was a writer, and we did it from our media seats in the arena instead of the media room. That's we just what, stayed out. Yes, that's what everyone was doing. I actually booked it back to the hotel. I got a quick thing on that before we wrap. But um, and most everyone was writing out in the arena because I don't think they even set up the media room to allow that to happen. Right. So we're sitting all out there, and at one point, you know, it was senior senior night. So Gravis's parents were there, and I don't know if they were in town from. Venezuela or if they'd moved to the States. I just know that it wasn't a normal thing for them to be at a Maryland basketball game. And so we're all riding. It's probably an hour after the game. And he brought his parents out back into the arena so that they could meet all the media members that had been covering him, the beat writers and stuff. Wow. He just wanted to introduce his parents to everybody, which I thought was sweet. That's that is that's sweet. And he's, he's definitely uh, among the most beloved former Maryland Terrapins. That's a, that's a cool little deal, man. Um, I stayed in New Carrollton, which is about 10 minutes away. So first off, just quick, quick story time. Um, thought I lost my wallet in a lift, which is obviously terrifying. I didn't. I went out. I was going to go eat at Franklin's, just get a quick crab cake, okay? Cause then, uh, and then do a, a slice of pizza at Lido's, I think it is. I've already forgotten the name. Apologies. I get to Franklin's. I put in the order. And you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to give her the credit card now so I can pay this, get to Lido's. I was meeting a, a Maryland journalism student there and uh, get it done. <laughs> I look everywhere. It's, I got my bag with my computer on me. It's not on me. I'm like, oh, my God, I left it in the lift. Oh, my gosh. Have you left anything in a lift before? Um, you probably have and you don't even know it. Yeah, like, I, you know, it, it's it's possible, but it's probably not anything I need. So I'm, I'm freaking. I'm like, I actually I, think I did leave glasses, my glasses in a lift one time, and I – you know, you can contact them and then meet up with them, and it's all good. Yeah, the thing I know you would definitely identify with this story is, and and for the writers that listen to this can identify, like when you go and cover a game, there's a certain rhythm, a certain pace when you want to get to the arena so you don't want to feel rushed, and then it just throws it all out of whack because I was like 15 minutes away. So I go back to the hotel. Thankfully, of course, by the way, my hotel is like on the – it's the furthest possible walk from the entrance, so I'm already running late. Thankfully, it was there. My ride back gets stopped, dude. So and then I'm in a rush. I'm like, I can't even do the crab cake anymore. I got to try and get this pizza. There are like 14 geese in the middle of the road, and my Lyft driver won't drive around them. We're sitting there for like 60 seconds. And again, I'm already running late, and I'm, I'm just sitting there taking it. But I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, there's just these geese are just saying F you, and they're just sitting in the middle of the road. And like a corporate park made zero sense. The pizza place had an hour-long wait. Didn't get to, <laughs> didn't even get to have a slice of that. Went and had some Japanese. But then after I go back and I go and write in my room, GP. I, I, we were texting as UCLA was doing its thing. But this podcast is going on fumes, my man. I'm on like two hours of sleep. I, I had like 21 year olds next to me last night, room next next door, and I let them go for like an hour and a half. And let them go like what? Were they well, playing? that's the thing. Like early, I thought, is this is this going? Is what? Is what I think happening actually happening? But it wasn't that because certain noises presented themselves, and I soon discovered there were five, six, seven people in the room. And while that is certainly possible, it wasn't the case. And they weren't like completely out of hand. But then, like, it's like three twenty-one in the morning, and I'm like, I gotta call the front desk. I don't want to be that guy, but I gotta get sleep. I gotta take the train in the morning. I gotta go and do HQ. So they eventually uh, did. You call the front desk. I did. I was like, listen. I I was like, listen, man. They're not being bad, but it's just it's been like an hour and a half, and I just want to get a couple hours. And they're like, sir, no problem. We'll take care of it. And eventually they did. I I fell asleep at some point soon thereafter. But um, 
Yeah, so uh, the I, game I, was I, a little I, bit of letdown then after. I've done that. it once. Yeah. I did it once. And I had this moment of clarity where it was like, well, it happened. I'm I'm finally the guy who yeah. calls the, <laughs> calls I, the I know, dude, but like, you know how, like, you go, you cover the game, you get, and then you just, like, you want to pass out. And it's just like, it's not happening. Like, just, you know. Erica and James, and I don't know who else was hanging out in that room, but sh- shouts to all of you, and uh, I hope you had a good time. But anyway, that was the uh, that was the Maryland trip. It uh, it was good, except I wish the game was uh, was a little better. But big time credit to the Maryland fans. That I just early on when I kind of took in the scene as it was all going down, and um, I was like, yeah, this is this is a place, an area of the country that is I'd. While we joke about the Maryland fans hating their coach and the dancing Turgeons were loving that. They were like, Parrish, you were so right, man. We hate him. You're going to hear everyone boo Mark Turgeon tonight. <laughs> like one guy's talking to one guy. I think he was half in the bag. And he's like, he's like 21 year old. He's, he's just like, uh, you know, is Mark Turgeon going to get fired in the next year? And he's like going off on all this stuff. But I'm like, yeah, this is just wild. But uh, in general, when I saw what I saw in the building, I saw a fan base that was heavily invested, and I thought, you know what? While we poke fun at Maryland fans, I don't know if they quite get enough due for actually how much they put into this program, and it was on display before the game got away from Oh, they love it, and it's a terrific place to be. Like I said, I've been there twice, and oh, it's a, it's a great college basketball environment. It's in a tremendous fan base, like a – a faithful, um, passionate fan base. I just find it funny when they they always feel down, even when things are going well. It seems like you know from a and I'm painting with a broad brush, clearly. Yeah. But like you know, they they've got a one game. I bet you today, Maryland fans are. I don't even know where Maryland fans get on the internet to talk to each other. But I bet you, if you went there today, it would look like they're an NIT team, as opposed to a team with a one game lead in the Big Ten standings. It's just how it goes, and they and they and they embrace that, which is hey, more more power, uh, more power to you. But it was the most hyped game of the weekend. Didn't wind up being the most notable. GP, I was so I was you know running around left and right. I know you were on HQ a ton on Saturday, and I took the Sunday shift. What else to you stuck out? Where do you want to go? What do you want to hit on here? Well, the big CBS game in the afternoon was Kentucky-Auburn, and Kentucky wins it, secures the outright SEC title with two regular season games remaining. Uh, They beat Auburn inside Randolph-Morris Arena. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. So Kentucky secured the outright SEC title with two regular season games remaining thanks to Saturday's win over Auburn. Final score, Kentucky 73 Auburn 66, that's inside Randolph Morris Arena. So that's six regular season SEC titles in 11 years under John Calipari. And Kentucky is really turning into an interesting team. There's a big contrast between the body of work and the efficiency numbers. Kentucky's 24-5 and overall, 14-2 and in the SEC. The Wildcats are 7-3 and in Quadrant 1 opportunities, 5-1 and in Quadrant 2 opportunities. So they're now 12-4 and in Q1 slash Q2 opportunities with that one horrific quadrant four loss to Evansville. Now listen, I, I look at resumes every morning. So just trust me when I tell you, Kentucky's resume is a good resume. It's why UK right now is a three seed according to Jerry Palm. But the Wildcats are just 26th at Kimpom. Number 31 in offensive efficiency, number 38 in defensive efficiency. So Norlander, what's the more accurate portrayal of Kentucky? The efficiency numbers that are shaky or the rock solid body of work? To me, Parrish, it is the body of work at this point at 24 and 5. Now, Kentucky actually has, and we have a few teams like this um, UCLA, Providence, which got a great win at Villanova, but it's like 1 and 3 in quad 3, so its numbers are all sorts of freaky and twisted and turned around. They're like a mid 40s in the net. But Kentucky, see, here's the thing here's where, th- here's where UK ranks in the six metrics that are referenced on the team sheets. And this is as of Sunday night. 18th in the net, 15th in KPI, 11th in strength of record. And if you're unfamiliar with strength of record, it is a results-based resume metric that's actually uh, fairly equitable. And I feel like we don't talk about it enough, and I hope that changes in the coming months and years. And then predictive-wise, here's what's wild. BPI 23, as you mentioned, Ken Palm 26. But Sagarin, which is a predictive metric parish, Sagarin has Kentucky 6th. I, you know, I couldn't pull this off my head anyway, but I just, I, I don't know if we've had a team in the past 10 years, and I don't know if you could even find this out, where when we're into the first day of March, and you took a Sagarin team and a Ken Palm team that is ranked in the polls and would have at least a 20-spot gap in its rankings. To me, that's a bit bizarre. So Sagarin is, for Kentucky fans looking for a system to give you your due, Jeff Sagarin is absolutely your man. He is your man. Sagarin has you at six. And overall, you know, Emmanuel quickly is the SEC player of the year. Kentucky gets the SEC championship. It's 49th or it's 50th at this point. It's absurd. Quickly was great. They got the win over Auburn. And I, I think... I think Kentucky is – we got a couple teams where Kentucky is going to present an interesting case for the committee if it keeps this up because the if the wins keep going up and the losses stay low, I, I do think that uh, the net ranking, which is just the, the primary sorting tool, if you will, I don't know if that's going to absolutely win out, but they are they are interesting, and I'm in on them, and I have been for a couple weeks now. I'm in on them as a top 10, top 15 team. 
Yeah, yeah, I think I am too. I mean, I've got um, I believe seventh in the updated top twenty-five and one, and I believe they'll move up um in Monday mornings top twenty-five and one because Creighton took a loss at St. John's on Sunday. So the 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 Kentucky Wildcats will be, I believe, sixth in Monday mornings top twenty-five and one. And I'll say the same thing I said about them as I said about Auburn you know, a few weeks back when the resume didn't match up with the efficiency numbers. Like I, I, I'm not ignorant to what that means. Um, I'm just going to respect the body of work. Like, you know, I, I'm not that interested when I come, when, when it comes to rewarding you for what you've accomplished, I'm not that interested in, in what you're doing on a points per possession basis as much as I am, you know, do you have a game? Did you, did you win it? Where was the game played? Who was your opponent? Uh, I respect the results of games. And right now um, you have to, you have to tip a hat to John and, and that basketball team. If uh, you know, uh, based on what they've done, they're five and one in their past six quadrant one opportunities. So you'll never get rid of that Evansville loss. It's always going to be on the Mm -hmm. resume. And I don't know if you saw John's Press conference. I know. I so if you just inform me because I know him mentioning Evansville became a thing, but again, I was just in and out of pocket, so I did not actually hear it. What did he say? Somebody, I think it was, I believe it was Kyle Tucker from the Athletic. You know, asked was trying to ask a question about you know going from a team that struggled early, lost to Evansville, to the, and John just sort of cut him off and was like Evansville. They, 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 you know, yes, we lost to Evansville in in November. Like a long time ago when so-and-so was sick and so-and-so was injured. Like, are we the only team in the country that, that lost a, 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 you know, that took a bad loss? And the answer, of course, is no. But no other great team took a loss that bad. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is true. Yeah. It feels 0-18 in the Missouri Valley Conference, for crying out loud. The only team ever to, uh, what was it? The only team ever to go 0-18 in this league after beating the number one ranked team in the same season. Evansville Evansville set that record this season. So that's always going to be a thing. And, and I'm not saying you should erase it, but the truth is, you know, they lost to South Carolina, shouts to Devin Downey, back on January 15th. And since then, they've been pretty excellent. The lone loss in that stretch is a loss at Auburn. And in that stretch, they have beaten... Uh, Arkansas on the road, Texas Tech on the road. Um, they've beaten Tennessee on the road. They've beaten LSU on the road, Florida at home, and now Auburn at home. It, it looks to me like one of the best teams in the country, and I think it's inc- you know pretty interesting the way it's developed. You know they are okay. We were both in the building when they beat Michigan State on November fifth. What if I told you on that night? All right, Norlander. Here's the way this is going to go. Uh, next week, they're going to lose to Evansville. And then they're going to lose to Utah in Las Vegas, and they're going to lose to Ohio State in Las Vegas, and they're going to be 8-3 and three through 11 games. Now, after that, they're going to get really good. And it's going to be because Emmanuel quickly looks like the best player in the league, and Nick Richards looks like a reliable big. You could not have envisioned that. No. No. I'd, so it's yeah. it's come – it's like sometimes his young teams – get good just because the young stars start to play like young stars. They grow up. This is different. This is older players becoming, you know, stars. You know, not stars like John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and Carl Anthony Towns, but stars in their own right. And that's a pretty unusual thing. The way this Kentucky team has come together um, is similar to other Kentucky teams in the sense that it's late February, early March, here they go. But it's different in the sense that 
they are relying on non-freshmen who nobody thought would be the best players on this team, but they are the best players on this team. Saturday's game, even though it was a narrow margin, was an example of Kentucky outperforming its expected outcome. So it was a five-point uh, favorite per Ken Palm, and it winds up winning by seven. Here's still the amazing thing, though. So the reason why Kentucky is like this is because more often than not, it is not beating teams by as large of a margin as Pomeroy's algorithm would expect or BPI would expect or Bart Torvik would expect. Jordan Sperber, who does great uh, video analysis, I highly recommend uh, following him on Twitter, at HoopVision68. He tweeted this Sunday morning, so this does not include games that happen on Sunday. It was uh, a ranking of every team 1-25 to in terms of overall adjusted efficiency in the month of February, accounting for both sides of the ball. And when I saw it, I thought, okay, I got to figure Kentucky, even though it's lagging behind, uh, generally speaking, you know, 25, 26, 27 in Ken Palm, like it's probably got, it's got to be like a top 10 team in the past month. It's not. Kentucky is 21st. It's behind Purdue at 20th, and it's just ahead of Richmond at 22nd. The top 10, for the, those who are curious, Kansas, Michigan, pre-Ohio State loss on Sunday. Creighton, pre-St. John's loss on Sunday. Gonzaga, Houston, Baylor, Texas Tech, that's a shocker, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and then, of course, BYU. So even as of late, it continues to win, quickly looks good. Hagens has been pretty solid. Richards has been good. Sestina has almost like a cameo role. If he can be a little more consistent, that would help. But they're just... I buy into them despite all this, but I still am a bit amazed that they can't keep climbing up more and more. And it's not just the Evansville loss. It is going to ding them. We'll see how much. It is a seed line bump. But um, they continue to ascend here and are among my five most favorite teams of the past two to three weeks, if not month. I, without a doubt, man. I love watching this team play now. Um, yeah, yeah. Like the, Again, the efficiency numbers are what they are. But when you watch them, um, they, they look talented, especially in the backcourt. You know, when Tyrese Maxey gets going, that's another thing that makes them super dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, he had 12 in the first half yesterday, only finished with 17. But still, like he's he's not their leading scorer. That's quickly. But if you if you need somebody to go out and get 27, he's the guy most likely to go out and do that. He's the guy best equipped to go out and do that. So it's an interesting team. It's not it's not John's most most talented. It's not his best. But is it a team I could envision in this particular season going to a Final Four? Yeah, I, I could see that. And the fact that they've already got the outright SEC title wrapped up with two games left to play, yeah, that says something about the rest of the league. Clearly says something about the rest of the league. But when we watched them lose to Evansville, or, or more – because you could just chalk the Evansville thing up as fluky. When we watched them lose to Evansville, then add no more quality wins, and then lose to Utah and lose to Ohio State – you know, on December 22nd, they woke up 8-3. and three. There is no scenario where I thought that team would wrap up an outright SEC regular season title with two games remaining. Would wrap up the regular season title uh, before March 1st even got here. But that's what they did. So uh, congrats to John. You know, he, he rarely gets Coach of the Year awards um, relative to how, um, how often he has awesome teams because – uh, for whatever reason, people have decided coaches who recruit well don't deserve to get Coach of the Year awards. But you could make the argument that he should get it in this season in the SEC uh, because, again, outright league champion after getting off to a rough start. He coached this team. Sometimes he doesn't get credit for that. Sometimes he gets credit for guiding incredible talent 
to a lot of wins as opposed to quote unquote coaching. Well, if, if coaching is taking a group of players who are limited in certain ways, who struggle in certain ways, and then develop developing uh, them into one of the best teams in the country, well, that's exactly what he's done uh, this season. It's been an impressive work. Speaking of impressive coaching work, hmm? UCLA. Oh. UCLA fight, fight, fight. Beat Arizona late Saturday inside Reeves Nelson Pavilion. Final score, Bruins 69. Wildcats 64, Mick the Goat did it again. Hashtag wooden who. UCLA is on a seven-game winning streak, 12-5 and five in the Pac-12, tied with Oregon atop the league standings. Norlander, you tweeted it this morning that this is one of the more stark and unpredictable midseason turnarounds you can remember. Yeah. Same for me. Like, I was talking to somebody on the UCLA staff earlier, and I was like, dude, I don't remember anything like this, you know, at the highest levels of the sport. You know, to go from eight and nine to nineteen and eleven is a pretty wild thing in a power conference. Uh, but that's what uh, UCLA has done, and we've made plenty of jokes about Cronin Wooden, and we will continue to do so. But this really is, all jokes aside, a pretty incredible story, isn't it? It is, and you sent me a photo of Cronin the Barbarian, a, a Photoshop of Mick Cronin's face on. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger's body. So now that you sent me that, credit to whoever created it, but it's going in the no context tease for this podcast. Without a doubt, that is going to be part of it. <laughs> that thing was ridiculous. And you were hyped up. I was in the middle. So you sent me all, like, you were like, if they win this game, man, you got to you wait and see these tweets. <laughs> I, that was actually when I was in the middle of actually, like, trying to get interviews done and, and do my job. So I, I was slow to on the reply there. I get back to my hotel before the, 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 the ruckus starts uh, the room next to me, and I, I sit down, start to write the column, I turn on the TV, and Sean Miller's just gone. He's been ejected. Don't have any context why. And then they show the highlight like two minutes later. It was actually hilarious because he was hunting for it. And for so sure. they th- he threw him out. He's like, good, fine, good. That's what I want. That's what I want. Yeah, I want to get, get the F off this court right now. I want to get the hell out of here. So it was one of the more like comp- – it was almost – I can't even put into words – Sean Miller's face and body language and the rhythm of him, of him getting thrown and like not breaking stride. I thought it was hilarious. It wasn't that funny, but it just it was a late night uh, and I just it struck me so funny. Mick Cronin and what they've done. It is. How about this? I'll reference the same thing because this is what I quote tweeted earlier when Jordan Sperber sent out the efficiency stuff. UCLA is number 18 in February in overall adjusted offensive and offensive and defensive efficiency. 18th in the country. In November, it was 97th. In December, it was 145th. In January, 120th. And then it just jumps like a rocket all the way to number 18. Absolutely incredible stuff there. And, yes, there are not that many parallels, if any parallels, to a power conference team being this bad at this point in the season and then turning it like nothing into becoming an NCAA tournament-level team. That is what UCLA is at right now. I mentioned – so. Here's what's fascinating to me going forward. UCLA's D1 record, 18-11. On Sunday, it was 75th in the net. 6-6 six and six quad 1, 3-3 three and three quad 2, 4-1 and one quad 3, and 5-1 and one quad 4 to the uh, Cal State Northwood slash Fullerton loss there. The net ranking is crazy low, but if you look around, most people at this point, and I think probably rightfully so, have UCLA in the tournament. If this is going to happen, a couple things – 
I absolutely can't take a bad loss because I feel like they they are dancing on, on thin ice. Like they have no room for error. We could have a record-setting UCLA team from this perspective. 76 in the net, 46 in KPI, which is their best number, 67 in strength of record, 98th in BPI, 78 in Ken Palm, and then 61 in Sagarin. None of those placements in those metrics indicate an at-large quality team, but there's no doubt about it that UCLA is playing like a top 30 team right now. And if it can continue this and make the Pac-12 semifinals and just dodge, really stepping on a rake and getting it to the nose, I think they're going to be in the NCAAs and might even dodge Dayton. You know, back on January 19th, they were 147 at Ken Palm. Right now, as you mentioned, they're 78. So that's a 69-spot improvement in a span of six weeks, which is obviously really nice. And I tell you, there is no better way. I was so excited <laughs> to, to spend late Saturday night. It was like, it was, you ever have these nights where you go, all right, what would be the perfect way to end this night? And it was Mick Cronin coaching on national television after my entire family had already fallen asleep. Ah, oh, sounds, uh, it sounds incredible. I was like, I get a drink in one hand, a, a, a crone in the barbarian photograph in the other, and I'm ready to go. And I was, I was not that I was rooting against Arizona because I'm not, I don't care, but I very much am rooting for this UCLA story because we've just, me having nonsensical arguments with UCLA fans <laughs> or just idiots in general about Mick Cronin and John Wooden is my new favorite Twitter hobby. Every time I tweet something, I would say 90% of the people understand we're just goofing around and having a good time. But there is always somebody who doesn't quite understand we're goofing around and having a good time. And this time it was uh, a gentleman named Larry. So I tweet Saturday night after Mick the Goat gets another win, gets a regular season sweep of Sean Miller. And I tweeted, I basically reminded folks that you know, John Wood never took a team that was 8-9 and nine to the top of the Pac-12. I mean, you can look it up. He just didn't do it. I know. it. Uh, you don't have to tell me. I know. He didn't do it. And now, you know, when you combine that fact with, with this fact, you know, John Wood never beat Sean Miller. Look that up. Never happened. Nope. Mick Cronin's done it twice this season. Like, it, this is true. UCLA's record under Mick Cronin against Sean Miller, 2-0. and John Wood never beat Sean Miller. And so I make this point. You know, to, to underline, you know, that Cronin is is having a better career at UCLA than John Wood never did. I'm ending, and so then I went to sleep, right? Because it's late. I wake up, and I've got a tweet from a guy named Larry, and Larry says that's pretty sad logic. I guess they should sand John and Nell's names off the court and paint Mick's name in their place, right? It was a big win, but don't get carried away. And I saw this tweet, and I was like, this is exactly what I was looking for. This is, this is perfect. Reel it in. Reel it in. So I, so I, I, re, I quote tweet him, and I say, you know what, Larry? I had not considered sanding John and Nell Wooden's name off of the court, but you make a good point. That does need to be done. And so we will remove their name from the court. And and I and and then I hashtag it hashtag saying the court. <laughs> and so then my buddy Chris Vernon uh, got involved in it, and he said, "Listen, N Nell's name could could stay, I think." And I then remembered, 
Nell Wooden did not lose eight times in the 1966 season and missed the NCAA tournament. That, that's not Nell's fault. Nell Wooden didn't do that. John Wooden did that. Yeah. Mick Cronin didn't do that. Nell Wooden didn't do that. John Wooden did that. So we decided uh, we're going to sand the court inside the R&P, Reef Nelson Pavilion, and it'll now be known as Mick and Nell Court inside Reef Nelson Pavilion. Mick and we, Nell. Yeah, okay. Mick and Nell. We're gonna, we, Nell can stay. She's not the one that lost eight times in 1966 and missed the NCAA tournament. John did that. Nell's not responsible for that. We'll hold John responsible for things John did. We'll hold Nell responsible for things Nell did. John lost eight times in 1966, missed the NCAA tournament. And then people will point out, oh, yeah, but what did he do the next year? What did he do the next year? Maybe enroll the greatest college basketball player of all time. It's part of coaching. Lou Alcindor. It's part of coaching. Uh, hey, give – I dare you to give Mick Cronin Lou Alcindor. <laughs> it's over with. Mick Cronin's out there going to NCAA tournaments with the Yancey Gates. And y'all are all like, oh, John Wooden won national championship. Yeah, with Lou Alcindor. What did he do with Yancey Gates? Think about the damage two-year Tony Hinkle does with Lou Alcindor. I can't – you know what? I can't even go there. But I will say, between your Mick Cronin, Nell, would nonsense – and and then me, just you know, keeping it up with, the, with this undefeated San Diego State season, which has been beautiful. Um, the fact that they were able to get that win over Nevada and 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 run the table in the regular season was great. Unfortunately, there are some people on Twitter who uh, who still are unfamiliar with the podcast, and so they they insist on sending more and more screen grabs, which is only encouraging encouraging me to do this even more. So here, here's the thing that doesn't make any sense to me. All right. Like, even if you don't listen to the podcast, let's say you don't, you have no interest in podcasts, especially our podcast. So you have no idea what we're talking about. Couldn't be what me. Goofing on. Don't you have to, if you've got even a little bit of a brain, don't you have to assume when multiple national college basketball columnists slash analysts are tweeting that San Diego State is undefeated, don't you have to assume they both aren't just wrong? They just don't know? Like, the, Don't you have to assume, well, there's no way they don't know what happened last weekend? <laughs> because it's like literally – like if my wife was in a random conversation with one of her friends and she was like, yeah, Gary, I, I saw Gary do a Facebook watch video about San Diego State. You know, they're still undefeated. And I'd be like, Kelly, you know, they, they lost last – they lost to UNLV at, at home last weekend. She'd be like, oh, I, don't, I didn't realize that. That would be a very normal thing because I could see how she might not realize that. But like, how does somebody with a brain who follows us on Twitter think we don't know? Think like, are, are actually like, these guys don't know don't know what they're talking about. Like, how could how could you assume that? I don't know, but I think it's absolutely hilarious, and I want to keep it going into March as long as we can. Because now, here's what I love about it: is that we have like this like, little militia of followers that are in on it as well, and so they're going back at these people, being like. <laughs> No, man, like, I don't know. That's photoshopped. I don't know what you're talking about. The, the, fun, the funny ones are the ones that get a little, like, twisty on them. So, like, some guy's like, yeah, but they lost to UNLV at home last weekend. And then somebody else will come back at them and go, which is what makes it even more amazing that they're still undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. Like, like I'm not comparing either one of us to Adam Schefter, Adam Schefter, but my point's the same. Like, uh, what if Woj tweeted – you know, I just can't believe the Cavaliers are struggling this season with LeBron James. <laughs> you would have to know he's joking because he doesn't really think LeBron James is on the Cavaliers. Like, what do you thought? You'd have to think that he's just goofing around. Do we have a new podcast challenge on our hands here? That would be monumental. There's no way we could get Woj to tweet that, but it would be incredible if so.
Like, like, how do you not know we're just goofing around? Like, you really think – it'd be one thing if you slipped up and they were like, ah, oh, Norlander slipped up. But, like, when I'm backing you up on it, then it's clearly – we're clearly having a, fun. It was a fun Saturday night between San Diego State leading into Mick Cronin, Sean Miller getting ejected. It was all uh, it was all good. And a, and a very lively, eventful Saturday, by the way. Um, biggest Saturday so far this season, and we weren't short on uh, – on interesting stuff. Um, top 10 teams losing GP in a lot of spots. What else What else you want to hit on here? Because, again, I was I caught pockets of stuff here and there. Um, have a few thoughts on a few things. But to, to you, in terms of Saturday's results, what else stood out? Well, I, I think Michigan State got the biggest win of the weekend. I mean, Maryland got the biggest win. <laughs> Let's pretend Michigan State won the game. <laughs> I mean, what are you no, talking Michigan about? State Michigan State did win the game. Now I'm getting confused. What are you doing? I can't even remember who won anything. Am I being am I being inceptioned right now? What what is happening? <laughs> okay, Michigan State really did get the biggest win of the weekend. No jokes, no jokes. Michigan State wins at Maryland, biggest win of the weekend. We talked about that. Kentucky secures outright SEC title. We've talked about that. Mick Cronin, the goat, won another game. Regular season sweep of Shaw Miller in Arizona. They're atop of the Pac-12 standings. Um, we're we're we're, we're um, sanding John Wooden's name off of the court, it will now be Mick and Nell Court inside Reeves Nelson Pavilion. That's happening. That's happening. So elsewhere around the country, um, we had a slew of upsets. Like eight ranked teams lost to unranked teams this weekend. And they weren't all upsets, I don't guess, because of point spreads. But right. we did have eight ranked teams lose to unranked teams. So I'll run you through them. Okay. Number two, Baylor lost to unranked TCU. Um. Number six, Florida State lost at unranked Clemson. Told you. Number, se- number seven, Duke lost at unranked Virginia. Number 10, Creighton lost at unranked St. John's. Number 12, Villanova lost at home to unranked Providence. Number 20, West Virginia lost at unranked Oklahoma. Number 21, Colorado lost at unranked Stanford. And number 22, Texas Tech lost at home to unranked Texas. What stood out to you there? Plenty. Um... We both got Colorado wrong with the picks, by the way. But I did. I told you Clemson, money line straight up. Got it. Told you Providence on the site. Money line Nova. Got him. Friars. Let me, stop. Let me stop you there for a second. What's up? Okay. Okay. There's no reason to pick Providence to win at Villanova. Sure there is because they're like going to win. You, there's nothing to base that on. What did you? I'm giving you credit. Like You nailed it. But like, what are you basing that on? The fact that they've been playing better lately and Ed Cooley is as goatish as Mick Cronin. I'm taking Ed Cooley over Mick Cronin. I'll tell you that much. What the fuck? You better watch your mouth. <laughs> I'm, you I'm, I'm taking your Cooley. Mouth. I will wash oh. your mouth out with soap. Oh, I'm taking Cooley again. every single freaking time. They had been playing very well as of late, and there was a real urgency. there. like, Providence needed a couple more of those kind of wins to really help its standing, uh, and it got it to get to 17 and 12. And they've won four in a row. They had already won at Georgetown coming off a home win against Marquette and Seton Hall. So I thought that it was plausible and it wound up happening. Um, Clemson over FSU told you about that one. And Virginia over Duke. Is that Outlanders Parish? Was I off my rocker to pick that one? No, I, I, I had Virginia plus the points. There we go. And they win it. Now, I didn't see a second of the game. So uh, just didn't that led into obviously Michigan State Maryland coverage there. But I understand Jay Huff was an absolute beast. Um, uh, Tight ending there. Trey Jones got a three off, and uh, but it didn't go and all this stuff. But um, I wanted to spend just a quick se- – I know we talk a ton about Duke, but Duke is actually in a weird, fascinating spot right now. Okay. 
Blue Devils, I think, are exposing something with the net that is running contrary to the party line with the NCAA and the selection committee. So Duke's 23-6. and six. It's lost three of its past four. It's only win at home over a mediocre Virginia Tech team. So it lost at NC State, potential tournament team. I think NC State wound up winning this weekend. Lost in double, and the NC State win a loss with 22 points. Wake Forest, double digits, double overtime, terrible Wake Forest team. And then a Virginia team, only by two on the road. They're going to, Wahoos are going to get into the tournament, no doubt about that now. Um, but it's still another Duke loss. So three losses out of four. So right now, here on Sunday night, as we sit and, and chat about this wonderful sport that is called Troops, hello, March. We love you. So Duke is six in the net. It is third in BPI. It's five in Ken Palm. And yet in uh, and Sagarin, uh, Sagarin, you know what? Shouts to you because I, th- I think your system is it has this better than everyone else. We mentioned Kentucky, which was higher than any other ranking, rightfully so. Duke is 20th at Sagarin. Like, that's where it should be. So uh, he, he seems to have it uh, on lock there. The other predictive metrics, BPI 3, Ken Palm 5. So what uh, Dan Gavin and selection committee members have said is that when it has these six metrics, the, the net is the primary sorting tool. BPI, Ken Palm, Sagarin are the predictive elements, which we want included and are a part of the, our process, as they should be. And then we also want the results-based, resume-oriented, we're not forecasting anything about what's going to happen with your team. And that would be KPI and strength of record. And they have said that net is that as well. But what I have always argued is that you cannot be half pregnant when it comes to metrics. If you have even a small percentage of your algorithm that is predictive, then you have a predictive metric. You either do or you don't. So I've always said that the net leans more to that, even if it tends to have uh, a bias toward more results-based results. Uh, But here's the thing. Duke shouldn't be sixth, okay? It's closer to BPI and Ken Palm than it is the other ones. And that shouldn't be the case. And the only reason why that is the case is because Duke, rightfully so, when you're looking at empirical data, it's still holding strong in those. And you can be frustrated all you want, but it is just the efficiency margin with Ken Palm. And Duke has a lot of wins where it outperformed expectations and won by large margins. I will allow for this, Parrish. The the losses came on the road and stuff that you and I... um, you know, had some hue and cry about for a long time in terms of like, you have to acknowledge how hard it is to win on the road, not kill teams for it, reward them for it, and put that, uh, you know, I guess in better perspective, both in discussion and in analytics. Maybe, since we don't know how the net is built, and that's still an issue, and I have the sense that we're going to talk about that more this month, GP, um, maybe we'll come to find out that just when it comes to specific road performance, that's why Duke is still there. But I think a lot of people are going to start taking notice that a team like Kentucky just can't seem to climb up at a high enough rate. And a team like Duke, it's not falling out of the top six, even though it doesn't, it hasn't looked like a top 25 team for two weeks now. Yeah. I'm like, I got a text message from a buddy of mine after they lost by double digits to Wake Forest. And this friend of mine is, he's more of a friend of mine than he is a college basketball fan. Like I, I don't even think he follows the sport that closely. And he texted me. I, I ain't heard from him in months. And suddenly I get a text message from him in the morning after the Duke Wake Forest game. And he's like, "Why doesn't? Why does Duke never fall in the net even when they lose?" And and I'm like, I, I'm I don't know the exact answer to that, but I'm assuming it's based on the efficiency numbers. You know, Duke is still top 15 in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency even after the loss to Virginia. 
Only four teams in the country um, are that. Michigan State, Kansas, San Diego State, and Duke. And if you look at the net rankings, those are te- those are all teams that are very high in the net. All Kansas top seven, is one. Right? Yeah. San Diego State is two. Duke is six. Michigan State is seven. Like, um, I, 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 you know, I don't think you have to be Ken Pomeroy to connect the dots there. There's some sort of correlation. I agree with you. Yes. There's some sort of correlation there. If you've got incredible efficiency numbers, it's going to help you in the net, Um, which should maybe goes without saying. But if you're trying to figure out why Duke's body of work doesn't line up with Duke's net ranking, it is probably because Duke's body of work also doesn't line up with Duke's, um, you know, Ken Palm number. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it, right? It is the simplest way to put it. Um, I just wish the NCAA selection committee would be, one, obviously more forthcoming with the net, and we're still not there, and who knows when we're going to get there. But to me, this is just a, a strong piece of evidence suggesting that the net, and that's fine if that's what it is. I don't, I don't have an issue with that. It's just it's the primary sorting tool, and this is the kind of thing. Unfortunately, um, and I did see Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio tweet about this. I, I don't go this far. But he basically said, and I am paraphrasing him, but the fact that Duke is still six in the net, like it, it, it borderline invalidates it. It brings in, into question a lot of things around the net. If you look at how the net is comprised and you compare it to the other ones, uh, frankly speaking, uh, these are all desserts of a different flavor here, okay? And they all serve a good purpose, and it's good to have them all there. But I just, I'm led to believe that when I see how it is listed out this season right now, and I see BYU at 10th in the net, and it's not nearly that in some of the, um, in some of the other uh, results-based metrics, then yeah, I just I'm yeah, I'm, but, I'm I'm just more I'm more inclined to believe that the net is actually more predictive leaning, and yes, efficiency margin has a has a. a, a a big um, factor in that as well than what we've been told before. And I think it would be something that the NCAA and the committee, it should be aware of and smart enough to try to just get out ahead of it a little bit more. Cause if not what this ultimately leads to, and it's something that I hope that we wouldn't beat into the ground on the podcast. And that's why I want to talk about it now and not in two weeks. But you, if Duke loses one more time and it's six or seven, like then it just it just becomes a popular talking point to just slam the net, slam the NCAA. Duke's not that good, and you don't want that, frankly, for the NCAA. This is the exact kind of scenario you don't want in year two of your sorting tool, which has been relatively good so far, but the last thing you need is a polarizing Duke team seemingly getting the benefit of doubt, and the NCAA's official metric is what's putting, you know, putting their name so highly you know, up on the list there. Well, you mentioned BYU being 10th in the net. Well, guess who's got the 11th best adjusted efficiency margin in the country right now? BYU. Of course. Like, it matches up pretty well with that. I wonder this, because your point about Duke, and I don't really buy into, you know, like, I I respect Matt, but, like, I I don't think Duke staying in the top six invalidates the entire net. It might just, um, it might show us something about the net, but I don't think it invalidates the entire net. I will say this, though, and no smart person, at least I don't think, is going to go down this path. But like my buddy, he's a smart person, I guess. Okay, well, I think I think well. I'm about to come to the dumb person. <laughs> but like, you you'll get the, you'll get some of this. The NCAA has developed an algorithm that doesn't punish Duke and punishes everybody else. Exactly. Like yeah. You get a little bit of that, right? People already think like Zion's parents live in a half a million dollar home and nobody cares. Right. You know, they, there's already that stuff out there. And so um, this is just another layer of that, that, that it would be – it doesn't really matter on any sort of macro level. But it is a thing that you'll hear and you'll see on the internet. I wonder this. 
because the the net I don't know like it's their formula they created this they didn't take it from somewhere in and adjust it you know it's it's their thing right with the help of Google just so we're of clear course. like of like course. Google actually built it and the NCAA is kind of just it's sitting on the sidelines saying okay mm-hmm, we like the results there yep 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 kind of deal but yeah go ahead okay so leading up to it everybody would kill the RPI and what is the most referenced you know metric in college basketball well Kenton right. So is it possible they built something to as closely replicate that? Because if everybody's calling this one smart, then let's create one everybody will call smart as well. Yeah, I think that's true. But then they just get themselves into a little bit of trouble when they say it's not a predictive metric. It just has some predictive elements. Well, again, you can't be half pregnant when it comes to this stuff. So um, it's just something that I had noticed uh, amid a very noisy weekend of a lot of upsets there. uh, Duke losing again. And look. Credit to Virginia in locking up a bid, getting that win. Jay Huff having one of the best games of his career. And Tony Bennett, I mean, <laughs> Tony Bennett's one game out of the ACC race right now. It's absurd. And Duke, by the way, officially can't win uh, an ACC standalone title in the regular season. So the streak goes to 14 years now. It was since 2006. But uh, Wahoos get that win. And, and by the way, avenged the loss and losses against Duke from a year ago um, when both those teams were one seeds, but obviously Duke got the number one overall seed. Um, Virginia, by the way, is now looking like it's going to be the first team in the Ken Palm era from a power conference to make the NCAA tournament with a sub-200 offensive efficiency rating. Where are um, they right now? 220. Yeah, they're not uh, – I can not say they're not. Look at what UCLA's done, but uh, that seems unlikely to have a 20-spot jump unless they won the ACC tournament and like really found something. But you're probably right. They don't look like they're going to find anything. They're just going to try to beat you in the 50s. That's what they look like. They've won six straight. Um, shouts to Tony Bennett. He's, he's doing it again. Um, in that list of games that I mentioned, West Virginia loses now one and six in its past seven games. Like, I dropped them out of the top 25 and one. They're still top 15 at Kinpom, but the body of work's taking a beating. Yeah, that's bad. Oklahoma, credit to Oklahoma for, and listen, those West Virginia's just, it's, it's careening, but... Um, the Sooners have been able to get some wins. And so the Big 12, just real quick in general, uh, the Baylor-TCU loss is weird, but it doesn't knock them off the one line. And But it does give them a little less slack. It gives Kansas this. Kansas is going to be the number one overall seed. If you were going to have a takeaway from the weekend, the fact that Kansas dodged what happened at K-State, it would really – the only way that doesn't happen is if Baylor does not lose until Selection Sunday. Kansas takes, like, two losses, and one of those is Baylor over Kansas. Otherwise, this I think the loss at TCU uh, just created a little bit of a gap there. And then Texas is now a bubble team. Credit to Shaka Smart and his staff and his players because that was certainly a case where they're at the nadir. John Beeline separates from the Cavs. This talk about, and we had it on this podcast, as well as plenty of other places that you could have listened or read or watched on uh, on video and they've just they found a stride here. I don't know if they're going to make the tournament, but they're in the conversation right now, and I think that they are worthy of being in the conversation. We'll see if they – I don't have their schedule in front of me, so I don't know who Texas has next, but we'll see if they can keep it going. So an interesting weekend overall in the Big 12. Yeah, uh, Texas now has won uh, four straight games. They've moved into the top 55 at, at Ken Palm, and they are 12-11 and 11. In quadrant one slash quadrant two slash quadrant three opportunities, and I never really look at quad three, quad four unless you got a loss there. 
So I don't really care about your wins. If you're the type of team I'm looking at, yeah. um, your, your quad three wins and quad four wins don't mean anything to me. They're just whatever. But if you've got a loss there, I'm paying attention. But I don't look at your wins. But I was on HQ on Saturday with Jerry Palm, and I believe while talking about Texas, he noted they're now above 500 in quadrant one slash quadrant two slash quadrant three opportunities. And the reason he wanted to frame it that way is because that's important to be above 500 because no team below 500 in the first three quadrants had ever has made the NCAA tournament since they went to the quadrant system as an at-large team. Well, and I think he even retrofits the criteria so that, because they've only had quadrants for a few years now, but even if you consider it a top 50 win, quadrant one, this is RPI, it's, it's not the same, and even the quadrants are flawed, we get that, arbitrary cutoffs and all that stuff, but top 50, quad one, top 100, quad two, and then top 200, quad three. In the old system, I think he even retrofits that to back to 94 when he started tracking this stuff. So you're right. Having an above 500 record overall is one of those things like where only two teams ever have been, what is it, two or three games over 500 and gotten the at-large, Nova in the early 90s and Georgia in 01. Generally speaking, you got to be above four, four games above 500 to have a chance. Just that kind of stuff. So keep that in mind going forward. But Texas has – it's far from done. It's going to need to win multiple games in the Big 12 tournament to, to maintain to have a chance. It would be something else, though, if we got to the tournament and we looked up and we saw the likes like UCLA, Providence, Texas getting in when that was unfathomable in the middle to end of December. Yeah, um, by the way, the, the next two games for Texas at Oklahoma on Tuesday – and then they close at home against Oklahoma State. So, I mean, you probably should go one and one in those games, and then finish nine and nine in the Big Twelve. But they're, but they're both winnable. You know, you don't have to beat them. You don't have to go to Allen Fieldhouse and win. You don't have to go to Waco and win. Um, they're both winnable games, even if they'll be an underdog at Oklahoma. All right, it's Sunday night, which means review time. We'll do a little bit of a twist here. I'll take the review this week because it is a, it's a little bit of a doozy and. I don't know why I took so long to actually take a tour through our Apple podcast reviews. You guys have a lot. There's some funny stuff, some random stuff. Uh, it's it's really good. Please continue to do so because this is highly appreciated. We like spotlighting review every Sunday night. And obviously Wednesday we've got the listener mailbag. So this uh, this one is it's from a person who, who names herself, I will always have hope. <laughs> and the and the you're not ready for this, man. Um, I wasn't ready for how it ended. So the title is Soulmates Question Mark Five Stars. Shouts to you. Quote: Could Norlander and Parrish be soulmates with a 60 year old woman? No. <laughs> but six weeks ago, I was lying outside the bathroom floor at 3 a.m., preferring immediate death rather than completing the final three hours of colonoscopy prep. And then the latest Ion College Basketball podcast dropped, and I listened and replayed it till I made it through to the procedure. Open parentheses. Later that week, Matt shared his health ordeal. End parentheses. You're going to need to be more specific. Anyway, she goes, After a lifetime of hearing mother-in-law jokes, Gary said nice things about mother-in-laws. This mother-in-law of four was vindicated. Take that, all you mother-in-law haters. And after a long day of work... Matt and Gary distract me with all things college basketball. Again, 60-year-old woman. Love this. She goes, they are a great team, even though they might have missed Coach K's sarcasm, re-appropriate chairs. It's okay. Less skilled basketball podcasters also missed that, too. We didn't, we didn't miss that. That's part of the bit. Anyway. Don't argue with her. I'm not. Uh, here's, here, we, here, here we go. She finishes. In conclusion, Matt and Gary do such a good job with this basketball podcast that guess what I'm giving up for Lent? So long till after Easter, I'm pretty sure God knows this is a legit sacrifice. What? 
What? It's a five star. Wait, no, she quits us? She, she quit us. us. She, gave, she gave a five star review, was going through a colonoscopy at the same time I was, and she's giving up the pod. Who knows when she's listening to this? It's probably going to be like the middle of July. We got, we got you through whatever you needed to get through. I don't know much about colonoscopy prep. It's an incredible review. I hope that's real. There's no way it wouldn't be, right? Right? Yeah, that's a good real story. It's not the type of story somebody yeah, would make up. I will always have – I wish you had left your name. I will always have hope, and I'm sorry that you gave us up for Lent during March. What are we doing? This is the one thing you should not give up during Lent. But I was uh, – I got a good smile and a good laugh out of that reading that on the train. <laughs> um, it just, it's just not the – like, I like when we kind of pick a review that's a little bit off the beaten path, and that is absolutely it. It's just <laughs> – that was good stuff. But anyway, you have a good weekend, buddy. You ready to wrap this up? That I had no, I didn't have a good weekend. Oh yeah, you. Yeah, I had a flat. My third blown out tire because of a pothole in Memphis in a five month period. Third in five months. It's not good. I think you're not, and you're not the only college basketball writer that endured this. Did you? Oh, Shannon Ryan. That's right. That's right. She had, dude. She tweeted. We tweet. I tweeted first. Mine mine came first. She had. She had two flat. I I broke the story on flat tires today. Okay. She. Had two in two hours. That's unbelievable. I didn't realize that. Oh. Now, I've had two in four days before, but not two in two hours. This one, listen, I, you know, you're handling HQ stuff today. I know I've got to do the podcast. I had to do top 25 and one this morning. It's nice out town, like 64 degrees. And my wife was like, hey, why don't we go? There's a place in Memphis called Rail Garden. It's like an outdoor bar like place but it's with it's for kids you know it's got playgrounds and all sorts of just just a fun place to spend time with your family she said well like if you've got a few few uh free hours given that you're about to be gone for an entire month and you know why why don't we go get lunch let the boys run around and uh, we'll go we'll even make our oldest go and we'll all go as a family i'm like well that's gonna be a disaster like uh you know t- taking a 17 year old with a six and a three year old like that's never it's just it rarely works i said you know what you're right let's go have a nice family day and it was a nice family day up until the point we were driving home. And I hit – I, I, there's no way – I. first off, I got all these people on Twitter telling me, well, why didn't you just dodge the pothole? Do you think it didn't occur to me to dodge the pothole? I was driving in the far right-hand lane of a, of a major street in Memphis. If I swerved left, I hit a car next to me. If I swerved right, I hit a curve in a ditch. There's nothing I could do. I, ha- I had to hit the, the – and my car is such a low-riding car that when I hit a pothole, it's game, set, match. It's over with. And so sure enough, I had another, another flat tire. And these are – it's not even – like it's a, it's a $300 tire every time. And so that sucks. But it's not just the money. It's like you have to – I got to wake up tomorrow morning and call the place and be like, I need to order a tire because you can't just go get the, – they have to order it. So, and then I've got to somehow like – I'm barely in town the month of March. When am I, when am I going to be able to go take my car and get a n- new tire put on? So I'm riding around in a donut. Yeah, you are. Like an, like an idiot. Yeah, you're riding that donut. I like it. I have a donut, have a donut on my car. I got a nice Listen, car with a there's donut a wonderful on. story attached to this that Gary has tweeted out, and you can go read more about it on Twitter. And, and, uh, and he, he, he did a really nice thing. It was, it was, he, he had a nice uh, citizen interaction, I'll say. Right. And so I try to tell the story and then the people that, but why can't people, the overwhelming majority of people were just like, oh, that's a nice story. But like, then there's some, there's some jerks for like, first of all, Hey, why didn't you dodge the pothole? Well, I had two little kids in the back seat. I, should I have rammed them into a car or ran them into a tree? Which one would have been better than hitting the pothole? Idiots. And then, and then you ask the for one. this when you tweet out the photo, I don't then, know what you want me to tell you. Then here, here's the other one. Everybody's like, 
what kind of man doesn't change his own tire? <laughs> like, what? why wouldn't you change your own? Because I don't want to change my own tire. Like, I've changed a tire before. I think if you put a gun to my head and said, change this tire or I'm pulling the trigger, I could probably do it. But I have AAA. We have a family AAA account. Because, like, I'm not here a lot. What if my wife has a flat tire or my teenage son has a flat tire? Or what if it's freezing or what if it's raining or what if we're, one of us are in a bad part of town? Then I really don't want to be out changing a tire, even if I could. Why do men take such pride in being able to change a tire? Oh, I'm a man. I change my tire. Like, who cares? By the way, every man on Twitter seems to change their own tires, which suggests it ain't that hard to do. Like, it ain't really a great skill to have. Like, congratulations. You can change your own tire. Like, everybody can change their own tire. So who cares? What are you bragging about? Can you get paid to talk? I can get paid to talk. I earn a living just by telling stories. That's a skill. That's an actual skill. I can change a tire. Congratulations. Everybody can change a tire. You have been brewing and stewing. I never seen any, but I never seen so many people proud about doing something everybody else can do. I I could change my own tire. It's like bragging about I can put something in the microwave. (laughs) Everybody can put something in the microwave. What are you bragging about? These guys on Twitter. Ah. No, I just, I've reached a point in my life, like, I could also, like, even Doster, Rob Doster. (laughs) Okay. He was like, he was like, come on, GP, you can't change a tire. Why do people assume if you don't do something, you can't do it? Like, I can, I can go pick up my own pizza, but I'd rather just have it delivered. I could cut my own grass, but I'd rather get somebody else to do it. Like, I've reached a point in life, I'd rather pay people to do things for me. I work hard, so I don't want to be outside changing a tire. I'll pay, I'll pay somebody to do that. That mean I can't do it. It means that's not how I want to spend my time. Grind your gears. Fed up. I'm fed up with it. I'm, taking, I'm out there trying to share a sweet story. I'm taking Twitter abuse because I don't change my own time. Are you guys also mad at me because I don't pull my own weeds in my flower bed? Hey, let me tell you what I also don't do. I also don't uh, mop my own floors. We have somebody come do that too. I don't cut my own yard. I don't clean my own pool. It's not. Have somebody fault. do that as well. I don't change my own oil. It's somebody does fault. that for me. Am I am I less of a man because I won't change my own oil? It's not your fault. Why? What is it? What's it? It's okay. I'm being emasculated out there by people. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what's what's my favorite one? So <laughs> let me see if I can find it. I oh. sent it to a couple of my buddies. Um. So this guy. So uh, the last tweet in the story, if you read the story, you'll see it. It says, uh, so to recap, you know, um, the city, the, the streets in Memphis are still rough, but the people in Memphis are still awesome. And if you ever need, you know, to get a tire change, call this guy. It's just trying to be sweet, trying to return the sweetness. And somebody tweets at me. He says, here's my recap. You're a little P-boy who can't change a tire. <laughs> God. It's just rough out there, man. It's rough. Twitter streets. You got John Morant. Thanking Twitter trolls for motivating him to play basketball. That's where we're at these days. And that's what you'll talk about on your radio show on Monday, I'm sure. Along with, if you want to hear this, by the way, again, follow GP on Twitter at GaryParisCPS. He tweets out his radio show every single day when it's going to go on. He'll have this, plus more details, plus John Morant. I'm glad I could warm you up because you're gonna. You got another what, 16 hours before you get to do it all over again. Yeah. Curb your yeah. enthusiasm is about to start. I want to get the March one podcast up to people before it becomes March two. I know they'll love that intro. Let's pack it in.
Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Mick Cronin the GOAT. Shouts to the undefeated Aztecs. And shouts to I Will Always Have Hope. Yes. Please, please, we know you're not listening. But like, maybe one day you'll pick it back up when God tells you it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't subscribed to the Ion College Basketball Podcast yet, go do that via Apple Podcasts and uh, leave a, a nice review and uh, five stars and all that. You, you know what to do at this point. I can't keep going over, over and over again. We'll talk to you again Monday. Until then, take care. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.